The Heather McCoy Show. Welcome to the Heather McCoy Show. In our middle segment, we'll be talking with Mark Daniel Snyder, who is a communications director for the Transgender Law Center, about the new law that was just passed yesterday in California regarding the rights of transgendered kids in grades K through 12. Then rounding out the hour, we'll have Robert Larson. He'll be joining us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. But first, we'll start off with a regular contributor, their blogger behind fieldofschemes.com, Neil DeMouse. Welcome to the show, Neil. Good morning, Heather. Good morning. Um, an amazing story broke yesterday after two leaders of the King's Arena referendum movement quit after revealing that the lawyers for the former owners of the Kings and Maloof Brothers had provided $80,000 for the campaign against the arena. Is this a case of sour apples or are the Maloofs a foil because they are so hated in Sacramento? It's a case of reverse psychology, so the arena will go through. Or is it, hey, look, behind the bushes, it's, it's the Maloofs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think anyone knows, right? You know, I mean, it's it, that's um, everyone's been, you know, the, the people in favor of the arena have been trying to get some dirt on, you know, who's the money behind this uh, this referendum campaign for weeks and months now, <laughs> and they hit pay dirt, right? They found this eighty thousand dollar check from the, the loose lawyers. I don't think anyone's figured out what the what the Maloose, um uh, agenda is here. Although I did have a commenter on my site um, have you know weaving this very believable conspiracy theory that, like you're saying, that the Maloose are trying to are trying to uh, uh, kill the referendum campaign by giving money to it, and <laughs> therefore you know tainting it with their own uh, with their own horrible publicity. I think he even suggested that uh, the next time Jeffrey Loria wants to uh, wants to kill something, he should just give it lots of money. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's another conspiracy theory that I couldn't figure out that the, the same law firm was representing Comcast and Clear Channel, but that was a little foggy. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the whole thing is such a mess at this point. I, mean, the, I think the the issue is now you've had a couple of top people resign. Um, the the I guess the referendum could still happen, um, but it's going. You know, it's it's got somewhat of a bad name now, and already you're going to have the problem that you know the pro arena folks were going to be arguing. Oh, you know, if you have a referendum now, you're just going to kill the whole thing, and you know the kings will leave and things like that. Um, and they have a plenty of money on their side, so it was. I mean, you know, we we talked about this before, right? The hundred one, hundred to one rule, right? That if the, yeah. the pro side outspends the the anti side by hundred to one, they usually win a referendum. Um, and I think it was going to be an uphill battle anyway in Sacramento. Um, and um, you know, now uh, it's it's more of an uphill battle. I mean, the the, the thing that just amazes me still is that this this deal is so far from being anything like complete you know the financing is still not completely finalized um they still haven't figured out how they're going to get all the land and now uh the kings may be asking sacramento to use eminent domain to try and take the last parcel of land that the the owner doesn't want to sell um you know, it seems like we've been talking about the king's arena forever and now it you know it seems like we're going to go on talking about it forever at least another year or two there's a little conclave of libertarians in Sacramento, I know, because my uncle's one of them. Is the imminent domain issue maybe a tipping point towards getting the arena not built? Um, you know, I'm sure that libertarians will, will, you know, jump up and down about it and, and try and challenge it, but it's so hard to fight this stuff. Um, you know, there was a, a big court case in Brooklyn when the when the Nets were trying to, were using eminent domain um, to... Uh, get land for their stadium, for their arena, 
And, um, you know, it pretty much got shot down on the grounds that, well, if the city says it's a public purpose, then we're not going to argue with them. Um, and, you know, there's been, there's been case after case at this point where, where um, courts are very hesitant to wade in and say, okay, this particular private project is not a public purpose. Um, and I think it would be hard here, too. Again, it's not impossible um, to block it that way, but uh, it's a long shot. Yeah. Meanwhile, Minnesota Vikings owner Ziggy Wolf has been found guilty of fraud, breach of contract, and violations of a state civil racketeering suit. Although this latest development most likely won't kill the Viking Stadium deal, but uh, what but might is the $33,000 taken in from the e-poll tabs, which were projected to take in $3 million just in 2013. How much leverage does Minnesota have to renegotiate the terms of the funding, and how much of that leverage will they actually use? Um, I think they could do whatever they want at this point. They haven't sold the bonds yet. You know, they have an, an agreement in principle, but like if they say, okay, well, our original agreement was we were going to pay it off with, uh, with electronic gambling, and it turns out there isn't any money in electronic gambling, um, they could you know, just say, okay, we're going to tear up the whole thing and start from scratch, um, and there's nothing the Vikings can do about it. The problem is that it doesn't seem like they're eager to do that. I mean, they just passed a couple of bills to sort of do backup funding. Um, there's one, there's like $20 million from a cigarette, one-time cigarette, like, inventory tax, um, and then there's another $20 million a year that was supposed to come in to the state from closing a loophole about uh, uh, out-of-state corporations paying their fair share of state taxes. And um, that money was going to go to the state, but now if it's needed for the Viking Stadium, it will go to the Viking Stadium. And who wants to lay bets on whether that's going to be necessary? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> although, although, actually, maybe they could start electronic gambling betting on whether the backup funding will be necessary. That might be something people would be more interested in betting on than, uh, than this e-pull-tab crap. Yeah, it, it would be. Any word that the graphics department is going to change out Satanic Uncle Sam as part of the negotiations? <laughs> Man, a- anybody who, who is listening to this <laughs> has to go to a computer when this is over and find the image of the uh, of the crazed Uncle Sam leering at you and demanding your money um, that is on this uh, this electronic gambling thing. Um, it, it is truly amazing um, what people think, think is going to get people involved. Um, anyway, yeah, this thing, you know, you start out writing about stadiums and, like, you wind up finding all sorts of weird little corners of American society. I would love to know the contract for the people that are providing those little e-pull tabs. I mean, how much money are they taking off the top? That's the one thing. That's the one domino that hasn't fallen yet in this like whole thing. Like the programmers and the yeah, the well, the comp- actually, yeah, the yeah, vendor that made that, buying the iPads and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it seems like a really, really roundabout and inefficient way of funneling money from your state citizens to um, to you know a development project. Um, and that's something. It's a good point. You know, I haven't. You know, people talk about the, you know all of the costs of you know gambling and gambling addiction and things like that. But just the degree to which um, you know gambling is and lotteries and things like that are seen as a more palatable way of taxing people because it's quote unquote voluntary, right? Um, but there's you know a tremendous 
gambling industry that has to be supported with that money before the state actually gets any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, hmm, maybe a future article on that. Yeah, that would be a good article. Um, in the NHL, the Coyotes have been sold, and the uh, public funding tap has been turned on on the city of Glendale. Meanwhile, uh, what do you think about the reports coming from New Jersey that the Devils are the next team to be taken over by the NHL due to money problems? Yeah, I mean, we've been kind of hearing this for a while, um, and you know, the Devils are in this weird situation where the where their owner was, I think, uh, Lehman Brothers vice president, right? Yeah. Um, and um, accordingly, doesn't actually have the money that he thought he had, you know, five years ago. So um, he's deep in debt, and the, the you know rumors either the team is going to be sold, is going to be taken over by the NHL. Um, I don't think that they can get out of their lease um, on the Prudential Center the same way that the Coyotes did in Glendale. So hopefully we won't see them shaking down Newark for uh, you know, $15 million a year in, in, uh, in operating subsidies the way the Coyotes have. Um, so we won't see that portion of the deal. Again, I'm hoping, unless, you know, I don't know what would happen if they had to go through bankruptcy court. Um, I don't think the NHL wants that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it may end up stopping in the NHL's hands for a while before they sell it off to somebody, or they may just, you know, broker a deal to sell it to someone else. Um, it almost doesn't really matter. Um, you know, I can't imagine. The, the NHL doesn't seem to have a better track record of picking owners than uh, individual owners do who are trying to sell. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know which is a worse scenario. The NHL seems to find really sketchy people like Bruce McNollum, that guy that tried to buy the Islanders. and I mean, there's some really sketchy ones in the NHL history. Yeah, you know, I mean, if if uh, if I were applying for a job and I had NHL owner on my or even prospective NHL <laughs> owner on my resume, I might leave that part out. <laughs> it, just, it just makes you look a little dicey. Yeah, just a tad dicey. As another team looks to be taken over by the NHL, because personally, I believe Forbes magazine over Gary Bettman. What yeah. does it say to how the league is currently being run when the possibility of two expansion teams coming to the NHL was floated out there last week? Um, you know, I don't know that it necessarily means that expansion is a bad idea. Um, you know, it's, I, I think the worry here, again, is that um, the NHL has um, shown itself so willing to you know, accept anybody as an owner who, who <laughs> is willing to pay up, um, that you have to worry that they would be like, oh, cool, expansion fees, you know, sounds good. We're not going to worry about, you know, whether it's a viable franchise or a viable ownership team or not, you know. And then you almost start getting into the uh, the, the direction of the uh, American Basketball Association, which, uh, you know, has will allow anybody as an owner who gives over, I think, $5,000 for a franchise. And they have something like 170 teams this year, probably only about 80 of which will actually finish the season. Yeah. Any word about the Seattle team? Was that contingent on uh, Karis Hansen's arena, or was that just kind of just floated out there with no no arena plan in the site? For the NHL? Yeah, for the NHL. Well, as I understand it, the, they don't they don't build the arena in Seattle unless they get an NBA team. If they just get an NHL team, that's that's like you know a bonus on top. But they're not yeah. going to build it just for for the NHL. So they would have to go and play in Key Arena for a while, and which is not an ideal hockey venue. It's another one of those ones like you know Brooklyn or uh, America West in Phoenix, you know, where you'd have to take out a whole bunch of seats, basically sell no seats at one end. Um, because it's not really long enough for hockey. 
Um, so they could do it. I mean, you know, if they decided that Seattle's a great market, they decided they kind of want to get their foot in the door and, uh, and uh, you know, be in place if the, if the other arena does ever get built. Um, they could do that, although, again, they'd be giving up an awful lot of leverage, you know, because once, you know, Chris Hansen came in and said, okay, I'm building a new arena, and the NHL, you know, says, say they have a Seattle team there um, already playing a key arena, then Hansen would be able to say, okay, you want to come play at my arena? Here's the deal. Here's what we're going, you know, what you're going to have to pay me in actual rent. Um, whereas if the NHL is, you know, holding out, well, we'll give you an expansion franchise if you cut us a good deal, um, then, you know, it retains a lot of the leverage. Again, it, it, it all depends on how much Batman and the NHL want, you know, quick cash now um, versus, uh, trying to you know play more of a long game where they're thinking about okay how can we leverage you know the the uh, monopoly on a, a, a you know set number of franchises um, to try and extract you know concessions from cities um, and the NHL has not been as savvy about that as some other leagues like baseball I have to say so but you know I don't know we'll see yeah can you talk about the going back to the New Jersey Devils can you talk about the non-NHL events the Prudential has center has lost yeah so apparently um, the Prudential Center I mean it wasn't that long ago that they were you know one of the top or the top um, arenas in the country for concerts um, and they have apparently dropped precipitously in the last few months. And, um, you know, the, the article uh, about this that I linked to um, said that in part this was because they didn't have enough cash on hand to front the costs of, uh, of you know, paying acts and then get reimbursed the back end, um, which is pretty crazy. Um, but the other thing piece missing is, of course, in the last year, the Barclays Center in Brooklyn opened, and Barclays is, was the top, you know, grossing arena for concerts in the first half of the year, um, in part because Madison Square Garden was closed for part of that for renovations. Um, but, you know, you basically have Barclays and MSG as the, you know, two top concerts arena in the country, um, and then you've got all these other arenas scattered around New York that are a little further away. You know, Prudential Center's out in Newark, which is in Jersey, so people from Jersey can get there easily, but it's not a hugely, you know, people aren't racing to go to downtown Newark. Um, you still got the IZOD Center sitting out there in the Meadowlands where the Nets used to play, um, which is still has an occasional concert. You still got the Nassau Coliseum. You know, there are only so many concerts out there, um, and there's only so many nights they want to play in the New York area. So it's, you know, you, I'm, it's a good question whether or not Prudential is starting to suffer from, you know, the arena glut of, uh, of the New York area, in which case, um, you know, they have some more serious long-term problems than just, uh, uh, you know, Jeff Vanderbeek's personal, you know, Lehman Brothers-related problems because, you know, they're not going to be getting, a, you know, again, they'll be a successful arena probably, but they're not going to be just raking in the dough the way they were, you know, a couple of years ago when they were the new kid in town. Yeah, we'll leave off with Major League Baseball this week. MLB filed a motion to dismiss the San Jose antitrust lawsuit. What do you see the, as the likely outcome of this lawsuit, and uh, what kind of legal action would it take to actually bring down MLB's antitrust exemption? Um, to bring it down through the courts would probably be tough. Um, you know, the big debate right now is whether or not San Jose has standing to sue. Um, Major League Baseball is saying, well, 
we haven't actually blocked the A's from moving to San Jose. There isn't a formal, you know, they haven't, like, packed up and moved and we, and we uh, you know, uh, tried to, uh, you know, stood in front of the moving vans. Um, you just have an option to, to put the team there, and, and Blue Wolf is technically still just waiting for this Blue Ribbon Commission to issue its report, which is never, ever going to happen. Um, so, anyway, baseball is claiming, well, there's nothing to sue about. Um, San Jose is saying, well, we want the team here, and, and uh, Major League Baseball is clearly dragging its feet and preventing it from happening. We, we want to sue. Um, they don't actually have to win the lawsuit is the thing, um, because baseball is absolutely terrified of having its antitrust exemption, which is much broader than the other sports leagues and goes back to this crazy 1922 Supreme Court ruling that baseball is not interstate commerce. Um, they are, are, are just terrified of having that addressed by the courts because they don't know what would happen at that point. It's, you know, it's, it's out of their hands. Um, so the, I think San Jose's game here is try to at least get it to the point where a judge is, has, uh, you know, saying it will go to trial and then hope that baseball will negotiate, um, which is pretty likely, I think, in that case. I mean, the last time that anybody had a serious antitrust suit against baseball was um, – the, uh, the, when they prevented the Giants from moving to Tampa Bay in the 90s, and Florida just said, oh, we're, you know, since we actually had, you know, a, an owner who was, had announced he was moving here and you blocked it, we're going to file an antitrust suit. And baseball immediately said, oh, oh, wait, wait, here's the devil race, okay? <laughs> you know, don't sue us. So it's an interesting gambit by San Jose. I don't think, you know, I don't know California law or, or, or federal law well enough to know what, uh, uh, what is definitely going to happen, um, but it's certainly worth a try. Um, and like I said, if they can, I think October is when the first court hearing is. If it looks like it's going to go to trial, I think they stand a pretty good chance of, at the very least, baseball saying, okay, here's the price you'll have to pay the Giants in order for it to happen. Um, and at that point, it'll be a question of, uh, you know, is it worth Lou Wolf's while to do it? Yeah, that is a very big question. My guest has been Neil DeMoss. He runs fieldofschemes.com as well as you wrote a book by the same name. Thanks for being on the show this week, and we'll talk to you next week. Always a pleasure. Talk next week. Okay, this is the Heather McCoy Show. <laughs>